You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Gary Griggs. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. I think all of our lives are filled with serendipity. You know, we turn the corner, you run into somebody and your whole life changes. And as I was finishing up my PhD in geological oceanography, um, many people like me were being hired by the oil companies because this is a big era of offshore drilling. We were extending our reach into the ocean. And I had an interview with what became ExxonMobil. It was then Humble Oil. And they were inviting me to to Houston to give a talk on my work to the oil company scientists. And at the same time, a professor I'd had as an undergraduate had been invited to come to the University of California, Santa Cruz, where I am today, and start a new department. He kept in touch with me and knew I was sort of a reasonably intelligent person. (laughs) And he called me saying, I think we have a job for an oceanographer. So just as I was ready to make a trip to Houston and sign up with an oil company, I ended up at the University of California, Santa Cruz, where I've been ever since. And, you know, I walked into my first class without ever having given a lecture. And by the end of that quarter, I was humbled by the students and their, you know, kind of reactions. And I just sort of thanked them all for being there and going through this experiment with me in education. And they all stood up and clapped. (laughs) And I felt like, okay, this is going to be what I want to do. And 54 years later, I'm teaching the same class. (laughs) The column I did um, on Sunday was called The Earth Has Limits. (laughs) And there's several different websites today. This one particular one allows you to take a number of questions, any individual, and they're based sort of around transportation. How often do you fly and how far do you go? How many hours you drive a big car, you ride a bicycle, your food, you eat a lot of meat versus vegetables. Do you eat locally sourced food? Your house, do you have solar panels or is it a new house and it's insulated, energy saving? And then there's one called stuff. <laughs> How much stuff do you buy every day from someplace? And each of those gives you a um, sort of an environmental footprint. And when it's all done, it adds up for you. If everybody on the planet lived like you did, how many planet Earths would it take for the Earth's almost 8 billion people? And, and it also gives you an accounting for different countries. And there's places like India. If everybody lived like they did in India, on average, it would take um, less than one Earth to support 7.8 billion people. If you look at France and England and Germany, it takes about 2.7 Earths on average. If you look at the United States as a whole, it takes five Earths, but clearly we don't have five Earths. (laughs) And a number of people, I I got 48 responses from readers on this, and it was interesting to see their, their scores, how many Earths, and their comments. They thought because we live in sort of an environmentally conscious community that they must not have much impact. They ride a bicycle once in a while. They change their light bulbs to incandescent, whatever they do. And many of them, the average was about um, 3.3 Earths in our environmentally conscious community. So that was kind of, I think, a wake-up call for a lot of people that they were, it was illuminating, even though they thought they were very environmentally conscious. In today's society, we have 
you know, we all drive cars, we all use fuel, we want to be warm, we like to buy stuff, and it adds up. You know, it's funny, the shoreline is probably one of the most important lines on the planet. It's where most of the big cities are, but it's moving. <laughs> and it's moving towards us because sea level's rising and sea level's rising because ice is melting and as the ocean warms, it expands. So this is a massive problem. Um, and if you look around the planet today, whether it's in the U.S., whether it's Miami, New York, or Boston, or Philadelphia, Charleston, they're right on the coast, virtually at sea level. And if we look around the world, most of the world's big cities, with a few exceptions, are on the coast, virtually at sea level. So as sea level continues to rise, they're all in trouble. And there's only so many things we can do. And, and there's both erosion where the cliffs or the bluffs are retreating, and there's flooding where low-lying areas like um, Miami um, is one example, New Orleans is another example, um, Jacquard is another example. They get flooded many days out of the year, and those numbers are increasing. Where the, where the land is very flat, a foot of sea level can move the shoreline in a thousand feet. So I think most countries are now struggling with, well, I shouldn't say most countries, many coastal countries are now trying to decide what do we do um, until fairly recently, there was still a lot of denial in places like Florida. Well, they finally have woken up and say, seen, wow, we're getting flooded once a week. Um, you see these pictures of people. I mean, Venice is another example that's sort of been with us for a long time. You see people you know, wading through the streets with plastic bags over their legs because it's three feet deep in water. Um, and that's not just a momentary thing. This is an upward trend. And the question is not, is it happening? We know it's happening. It's, um, you know, how soon is it going to become impossible to live in these places like Venice um, or Miami and then how do we deal with it? So um, it's something I've been studying for a long time. And you know, the number of solutions are finite. There's denial. <laughs> That's not very effective. It's, it's really cheap until it happens. There's the thing we've done most often, which is armor. We can build these massive walls and rock revetments. And um, I mean, Northern Europe has done that for centuries. Maybe the Dutch are the best example, but even the Dutch are starting to move back. We can't, nothing we can do is going to hold back the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean forever. We just can't do it. So we've done it for a while. Uh, and any new structures today, we have to really question and, and say, how long is that good for? And we're seeing more and more of this issue of environmental justice. Who gets, who gets the benefit. But if we look at the total amount of potential sea level rise on the planet, if we melt all of the continental glaciers, it's like the Alps, the Andes, the Himalayas, we could raise sea level, and that's happening by the way, we could raise sea level two more feet. And that doesn't seem like much, except um, there are a lot of people in the world living within a couple of feet of sea level. If we melt all of Greenland, sea level would rise another 24 feet. And if you look at what's within 24 feet, probably a billion people. 
the big 800 pound gorilla in the room is Antarctica. And if we melted all of Antarctica, we add another 190 feet. So if you add all three of those together, you get about 216 feet of total sea level rise. I would say that may take care of at least half the world's people. You know, we only have one planet. We, we basically have one ocean. And what we've discovered is um, really hard to imagine, but the ocean has become about 40% more acidic. What we call ocean acidification. And it has to do with carbon dioxide from the burning of fossil fuels. Um, being dissolved in the ocean and the way carbon dioxide reacts with water, we produce carbonic acid and excess hydrogen and it's become more acidic, which means a lot of the plankton that make little tiny shells can't make their shells as effectively. And those are the food for the larger animals up the food chain. Coral reefs don't like acidic water. It starts to dissolve them as well as oysters and clams and crabs. So Hard to imagine that the entire ocean has had its pH or its acidity changed. Education is going to be really important. And I think every time I give a talk to no matter who the group is, I think people are really moved by our ocean backyard or the importance of the issues. And they say, what can we do? What can I do as an individual? And I say, there's something everybody can do and it doesn't cost you anything. And everybody's I said, vote, vote for the people that represent you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.